welcome to The Hockey Show with Pat Boyle and Barstool Chief. Brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. On Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Ready for the power play? You're listening to The Hockey Show on ESPN Chicago. Welcome to an emergency episode of the Hockey Show podcast. Barstool Chief, I am Pat Boyle. Chief, we just finished taping our NHL draft preview podcast. Not a minute or two after that happened, we find out that the Hawks acquire former number one overall pick, former Hart Trophy winner Taylor Hall from the Bruins, also the rights to UFA Nick Foligno. And in return, they send Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula to the Bruins. Uh, what do you say about a deal like this? Did you see this coming? No. And I, uh, Davidson, he sandbagged us because he took a call right before our interview started with him. And uh, uh, he was like, do you guys mind if I take this call? Uh, while we're still setting up, I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Can I listen? And he goes, no. And he came back with a little smirk on his face, and I know he was talking to Boston. I know he was talking <laughs> to Boston. He could have leaked it to me. I could have broke the story. Didn't want to do it. But I love the trade. I love the move by Davidson. They need it. You know, everyone's been talking about Max Dolmy or, you know, who should they go get to play next to uh, uh, Bedard and be on his wing as rookie year. Problem solved. Okay, you have a former MVP, a guy who knows what it means to be a number one pick. Uh, and Taylor Hall, a guy who's who's competitive, fast. Uh, you know, he had a he had a nice. What do you have? Sixty one points last year. Yeah. Um, so a bona fide top six type guy uh, who you can you can put right there on your left wing for for uh, for Connor Bedard. It, it, it's a it's a perfect match. I don't know what they're going to do with Felino if they're going to let him walk, but he also kind of fits a profile of uh, you know some some muscles, some toughness, character, leadership uh, that they would want in their bottom six. Theoretically, uh, you know, we've talked about Lucic and um, and uh, Ryan Reeves' uh, potential coming here, but and Felino's not at that level of a heavyweight, but he's not he's not shy about protecting his teammates either. So if they sign him, I think that that's not the worst move ever either. So uh, I like both the names coming back, even if it is just Taylor Hall. Uh, I think it, I think it's great. Uh, I'd never really liked Alec Regula, so I'm fine to see him go and. Uh, I like Ian Mitchell. I think we've talked about that many times. I don't think he ever got a full fair shake here. Uh, he didn't really fit their profile of a defenseman. But he's I'm happy for him because he's going to a place uh, in Boston, uh, reunite with Monty. And I know Monty really believes in him. So I hope he uh, can get things going and become an NHL regular. Because So I think it's one of those things where um, – it's a win for everybody that I care about, which would be yeah. me. <laughs> First and foremost, me and my happiness watching the Blackhawks. That's the Taylor Hall component. And then I want to see Mitchell do well, and I think he'll he'll have a good shot. And so like, back to the Nick Felino portion of this, they absolutely want to sign him because he's a UFA. They're going to have exclusive time now before yeah. July 1st to, to re-up him. So to get his, his rights in this deal – I don't think you do that unless you you truly want to uh, make a run at signing him. And I think it's exactly for the reason you said uh, to have a little protection in that lineup, something that they're lacking right now. I love that for uh, for Bedard. And I mean, how do you think that that line looks now? Taylor Hall, Bedard and uh, to be determined uh, or do you? I mean, I kind of thought Reichel and Athanasiu would start together, but uh, I, how do you how do you see this line going as far as Taylor Hall and Bedard? Yeah, I mean, I think you can pencil Taylor Hall in for that left wing spot right next to Bedard. I don't know if uh, if Reichel is the the right fit as a right winger. Kind of depends. You might want to have a little bit more forecheck and maybe a little bit more size uh, on that line, and maybe you want to. Uh, split up those those young kids and and say hey like you guys Bedard's going to get all the attention with Hall and and Reichel you're going to kind of get to face the underbelly a little bit as you develop in your first full year as a as a true NHL player so however it comes together I do think Reichel is a top six player long term as is Bedard Hall is that right now so you're, you're starting to uh, formulate a team where it's 
guys are are putting are going to be put in spots where they can be successful, which is the most important thing for their development. So if they're together, I think that's fine. My my gut says that the, that uh, Reichel will probably be on uh, that second line, if you will, uh, in the top six, and and not having to face uh, the elite, you know, Norris and and shut down Selkie guys. Totally makes sense. Two years remaining on Taylor Hall's deal, uh, six million AAV. So. Look, they were going to go out. They had money to spend. They were going to go out and bring in some veterans. Uh, we talked about, you know, just because you get Connor Bedard and you're still kind of three to four years away from the championship window opening, you still want to provide him with a talent uh, at wing so that you don't waste his uh, his first couple years in the league or – stunt his development or, you know, make him question, um, you know, where, where his skills are at because you don't put him out there with a quality uh, winger. And I think this checks that box right away. And it also brings in a guy too. another, you know, those are leadership guys. Nick Foligno yeah. uh, is a type of guy that, you know, I, I, I love watching his dad play back in the day. Like, uh, or just a hockey family, and a, um, I, I, I think this also shows you kind of where Kyle is is thinking in the short term here. Like, it, it's not about tanking per se next year. It's about beginning to lay the foundation with some of our young pieces and giving them willing participants to help in their development. Yeah, and so I think there's two other little important notes here for the Taylor Hall thing. Number one is, as far as Bedard is concerned, like, yes, having guys around him, but it's also like, hey, you don't have to do everything, okay? Right. Like, you you have players that you can look to, you can lean on, that are going to be in the right spots because he has that tremendous hockey sense, and there is a thing where it's like, hey, I know where that guy's supposed to be, but he's not there because he doesn't know. Taylor Hall knows where to be. He knows where the goals are. He knows where the points are. He knows how to play in the NHL. So that's a really good thing. Also, I am fairly certain, and I'm, I'm not on my computer, but I'm fairly certain uh, Taylor Hall had a no-movement clause that he had to waive to make this happen. That's I think the he had, So I think it, it, uh, it, there were 10 teams that it became, uh, you know, he had no trade uh, okay. movement clauses with and the and the hawks weren't one of them okay all right well then that that's interesting i wonder when when that list was submitted because you can't i can't imagine that if it was last year uh the hawks wouldn't have been on that list but but you would think that you know like hey like that's an easier ask just because i think the point i was trying to make which i guess is not relevant but i think guys are going to want to play with bedard and i agree and I, you know, and I think Taylor Hall coming here, it's he's you know, he's not young, but he's not old either. He probably looks at this opportunity if he's got two years left, or it's like, hey, like I'm gonna be putting up some points and I can get another nice contract in two years and uh and set up the rest of my entire life and the rest of my career by playing with Bedard. And I think guys are gonna guys are gonna be kind of salivating at the idea of playing with somebody like this. So Taylor Hall is a Chicago Blackhawk. We're going to see Connor Bedard in a Blackhawk sweater finally on Wednesday night. They're going to have to uh, uh, make an agreement with Nick Felino, who's pending UFA on July 1st. But uh, a lot happening in uh, Blackhawks land. Uh, let's get back now to our original podcast as we break down the upcoming NHL draft. The Hockey Show with Pat Boyle and Barstool Chief on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Happy Connor Bedard Week to everyone out there in Blackhawks land. And uh, we welcome in Chief from Nashville. How is uh, how's Nashville treating you so far, Chief? I, you know, I love Nashville. I'm not sure I love it at the end of June. I, I'm not cut out for this. I can't stop sweating. The sweatiest how's, guy here by far. How's uh, how's Eddie doing? How's, how's Barstool Eddie doing? Eddie's doing great. I think he actually might be in the same sweat boat as me, but we're having a great time. You know, we opened uh, a, a bar down here in Nashville. Barstool did. Not Eddie and I personally, unfortunately. 
but we had a great time out of the bar. All sorts of uh, you know NHL guys were there. Uh, Lindy Ruff was in was in attendance, so <laughs> a weird crew, but a fun crew. And uh, yeah, we've had we've had a great time so far. And our, our vibes as the Chicago guys are uh, very high. And we're actually going to have a little draft party uh, Wednesday night for uh, for Bernard at our at our bar here. Oh, excellent! Uh, yeah. Is is it on? Uh, is it on the main drag? It's a it's a block off of Broadway, and it's off of Broadway. So they're gonna okay. have live music there like seven days a week. It's got a mezzanine level, a patio. It's a it's a spectacular bar, I must say. Fantastic! So it's a monumental week for the Blackhawks. You, you don't often get a chance to draft first overall, and it almost never lines up with a generational talent like uh, Connor Bedard. But the Hawks, it's uh, it's six picks in the first two rounds. And you had a chance to talk to Kyle Davidson today. Uh, what was your takeaway from that conversation, Chief? Yeah, you know, he's, he's a very kind of bright, patient, careful guy. Um, and that's, that's what you want out of a GM. And, you know, careful to the point. You know that that airs on uh, that episode will air on our channels on uh, on Thursday, so after the draft. And he's you know so respectful of the process that you know, he won't say that they're drafting Bedard, even though the entire world knows that they're drafting <laughs> Bedard. We just talk about a foundational player, and we kind of got an insight into you know how how his board is coming together, where it is at this point. Like he's just like we're not drafting a specific type of player. If there, we have a ton of defensemen. If the best player on our board is a defenseman, we're taking a defenseman. If it's another small, speedy guy, we're taking that. So this, like, when you're looking at the prospect pool, me as a fan, it's like, all right, well, you're gonna have Bedard. He's he's five ten. I'm gonna give him that quarter of an inch. So he's five ten. Reichel's not small, but he's not exactly a big guy. Nazar's not a big guy. They don't really have like that quintessential power forward. So you would be looking at. You know me, the meatball fan, a Charlie Strammel, a Quentin Musty, uh, some of these kind of you know bigger Callum Ritchie, those types of you know like a more of a guy who's like a playoff guy, a, a meaty get to the front of the net, big shot, uh, win board battles type of guy to complement their other pieces. Davidson basically said no, that you know it, it could be whoever is their best guy, and then you know if they. He's like, we obviously would, will, you need some size and some roster balance to win, but there's other ways to get that. So if we go through, um, and you know, you know, you have to add kind of like what Vegas did where they went out and got a Barbashev, you know, where that's how he's going to, you know, tweak the roster. But on draft day, because these kids are so young, it is strictly purely best player available, uh, was his, was his mantra. Interesting. Um, look, look, the previous regime, Chief, we can point to certain drafts where it was like, okay, they were going to go after defensemen no matter what. The, uh, the Boquist, uh, you know, that draft, it was all defensemen all the time. And then the Doc draft was the tall draft. Every guy they selected was, you know, six foot one and above. Pretty much, that was classic, yep. and, and 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 several other players that were that were big. Uh, I do think size matters in this league. I think we saw that with Vegas. I think teams that have the ability to uh, keep big bodies away from the net and are able to take it to the net uh, succeed in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And you just went over kind of the makeup of the current roster, at least the pipeline that we're going to see with the Blackhawks, they aren't overwhelmingly big people. Uh, so I, I am of the thought that, you know, the traits that they value most are skating and size. I mean, obviously skill and, and shoot shot and all, you know, willingness mm-hmm. and all that. It's all part of, of the cocktail, but I do think, they hold skating and size with high regard. Do you and I think you, you mentioned some of the names. I, I, I think you could see the the Quentin Musties, uh, the Daniel Butts, the uh, uh, possibly if you're gonna look at a defenseman, this is not a deep defensive draft at all. 
And uh, you could see a Dmitry Simashev, uh, who's a big frame, six foot four defenseman. Uh, Tom Willander is also a big D man as well. But I'm more with you, the Nate Danielsons, the the Sam Hansecks, uh, the the six foot three, two hundred pound type winger or center as the type of player that they a is is deep in this draft and b something that this organization needs overall. Yeah, they they definitely do, and I I, I value size more for you know as a personally from defensemen, and, and you've seen that they've added that with the exception of Kaiser who doesn't play small. He, I think he's six foot. Everyone else is six, two and above. So I like that they're adding that they really cl- clearly value size on D, but I, I think if I'm sitting at 19 and I have, I love what I've seen from that. Oliver Moore, the fastest guy in the draft was a second line guy in the development teams who didn't have all the opportunities. That's really the guy that I love at 19. If he's still somehow there and he's, he's a small guy too. So the Davidson things, I was definitely leaning that way, but after talking to him today, it does kind of, he's right. Like you can go find, you can find bigger bodies sometimes. Like you don't, it is, you just want guys who are capable of playing the NHL and if you have to go out and get a Barbashev, you have to go out and acquire, you know, there, there's there's movement and player movement to be had every summer and every season. And, and you can you can tweak your roster, but the most important thing in the draft is just to get as many guys who project to be NHL players as possible um, and not, you know, pigeonhole yourself. And you're right. Like that, that does appear to me to be the big difference between this current regime and the past one where the past one was like, Hey, like our analytics, which were, you know, garbage, I would say that their, their way of looking through analytics was like, Oh, the, we want uh, skilled offensive right shot. Defensemen have a ton of value. There's really no logic in that, but you saw them draft Yokoharu, Bolquist, uh, Ian Mitchell. And then Nick Bodin was of that same size, but as a left shot. And none of those guys panned out here. Or really kind of, I mean, Yokohara is probably the best of that bunch. But it's just like you need to just make sure that when you're picking in the first round, you're getting a guy that is going to be an, an NHL regular. Because after that, even though they have they have four you know lottery tickets in the second round, but it is much more of a coin flip after outside of the first round. So if the best player available is, you know, a forward who's small or, or another defenseman, I think you just pull the trigger and don't worry about, uh, we need, we need a guy who's six two, which they clearly do. But I don't know if that's the right prism to view, um, you know, team building. So the big question, it kind of is, is what they do at 19. Do they move up? They've, they've got, draft equity they've got uh, capital with the four second round picks uh but they also have uh cap space and they can weaponize weaponize that cap space and take some bad contracts from other teams and possibly you know like like a pittsburgh at 14 if if they're trying to get rid of grandland and you want to take grandland and move up to 14 and Pittsburgh takes 19 or Vancouver trying to move Connor Garland. Uh, do you see that that possibly being a thing where he doesn't use his draft capital, but tries to use his cap space to move up in that first round? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I didn't ask him that specifically, but when he was speaking generically about the board, you could just see that he was lighting up about how many how how many impact type players are at. He's like, it's a deep draft, but it is also simultaneously a top heavy draft because the top of the draft is so good. So yeah, yeah I could if he I think and I think that's probably true. Like if you look at you know maybe the top twelve guys in this year's draft, you know they're probably in the top six in most drafts. Like there's a, there is a lot of talent in this draft. So if you can get you know, another top, top, you know, 10 or 12 
like you're saying, up to 14, and you're getting more of a surefire guy, a guy that you really have your heart set on. Yeah, and and they're in, they're in probably the most enviable position on draft day, maybe ever, because they have the number one generational type talent cor- cornerstone guy in Bedard. They have a top five prospect pool. They have another first round pick and the four second round picks, and all the cap space in the world. So they they have. You know, if you're looking at it, it's like they have a Navy, they have an Army, they have an Air Force, they have everything you need to go to battle on on draft day with all those assets, and it's just about applying them the right way. But it's Davidson did say today that I was asking him how many phone calls he takes per day, and he's like, you know, it's it's actually been kind of slow. He's like, last year was wild. You know, they started the day with with zero draft picks in the first round and ended up with three. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, it's been a little slow. Uh, so far this week, so it'll be interesting to see how it comes together. But I would love a Connor Garland, like they, you know, he's. They've talked about you know the Max Domi thing has been uh, really talked about a lot. Garland does some of those same things where he's he's a very nice you know offensive player who works hard. He's a little undersized, uh, doesn't necessarily have all the bite that Domi has, but he's he's a good player. Uh, I loved him when he was on on Arizona. They're going to need some some veteran guys to put next to Bedard and and Reichel, and if they can take on one of these bad contracts, I mean Brock Besser from Vancouver, I've seen his name out there a little bit. Yeah, I would I would love it if they were able to add a guy like that. That's not a long term commitment. You know, and Chief, if they're able to do that, if they're able to uh, take a bad contract and move up four or five spots to get a desired target, a player they really really want. I can also see, because you said this is a top-heavy draft, that you've got those four picks in the second. I can see packaging uh, some of those picks or a future pick and, and, and move in the back end of the I, – you know, I set the over-under two-and-a-half selections in the first round. I think there's a good chance they could make three picks in the first round. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's very plausible, and that's you know that that you know we've been saying like oh pick up a bad contract, pick up a bad contract. There's no such thing as a bad contract for the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. It's only bad for these other teams. So like those those are quality NHL players. They just don't fit in the plans and the cap for the teams that are they have different goals. So like that's the other thing. It's not like. The, the the Zaitsev thing, like he's a bad player. Is it a bad contract for the for the Blackhawks? I don't think so necessarily. But you're going to be able to get a, a, an NHL player that somebody just can't afford. We saw that Nashville just gave away Ryan Johansson for free. They gave right. away for free and paid half of his salary uh, for the rights to talk to Galchenyuk, who they won't who they won't uh, resign. So the Hawks can definitely play in that in that space. And the two and a half picks. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it, it is also – I don't – diminishing returns is probably the wrong way to say it. But do you – how many draft picks do you need? And can you develop all of them if you're taking six? And then how many – I think you have two-thirds. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot of picks to, to comb through. And and uh, so, yeah, if you're like, hey, like we feel really good – about this guy do you move a couple of picks or like you said a future and a bad deal and i would love it if they ended up with uh with three in the first round because that means that there's a guy that they're targeting that they love and you saw them do that last year with sam renzel so sam renzel was a guy who was you know he's a minnesota high school kid he wasn't even eligible to go to college yet they tried to be able to they tried to get him to reclassify to get into minnesota but just like wouldn't have been able to do all the schoolwork because he was so young. He he's probably looking like one. I think he's going to be a stud. People are saying he's one of the best skaters in the world, and he fits their profile. They love him, and I trust this regime um, to be able to identify these players. So it would it would be something that got me excited because it's like man, like they're they're really willing to kind of push their chips in, and they've. They got Bedard. They circle somebody else, you know, in the teens, and then hey, like we, this is our guy at the end of the first round, and you know, we didn't really love the board and picks, you know, let's say forty-five to sixty. Then, then they can, you know, just rather have three great guys that they really feel good about than 
than the four picks that are kind of lottery picks, you know, like, or like uh, scratch off tickets kind of. Thing. Yeah, for sure. Chief, like when we talked to Kyle Davidson at the end of last season, he said, basically the odds tell you that you get one NHL player per draft. That's the average one player. Yeah. That's a, that's a significant player for an organization per draft. They're trying to push the limits there and make it two or possibly three. We already talked about how promising last year's draft. If Connor Bedard is a, a sure thing, and let, let's just say he's the closest thing to it, you've already got your, your one player from this draft, and now you're trying to get that second and third. For the Blackhawk fan that's out there, how much have they been able to accelerate the timeline to get this team to championship level because of the ability to pick one overall and then having all these selections in a forward-heavy, high-skill draft? Well, yeah, and I think the Bedard, the lottery luck thing – it, it, I don't know if it accelerates it, but it definitely it makes it possible because you need the McKinnon, Crosby, Kane, uh, McDavid type guy to be able to win the cup. All the teams have them, and no disrespect to Leo Carlson or or Will Smith, I don't think they're projected to be that type of a guy. So Bedard, he doesn't he, he he's going to speed things up in some ways, but he really just lets you dream. Because before, if you don't get one of those guys, you're probably building for a team that ends up looking like the Minnesota Wild, which is which is not the worst thing in the world, you know. It, but it's not what you set out to do. So now you get Bedard, and it's like, okay, we have that special guy that we can, you know, when we need a goal, he's going to deliver. And and then you're you're building around him, and you know that you have a guy capable of driving you. Uh, through the playoffs. So that's like the most important thing. And then the timeline is, you know, it, it takes these kids, they're all 17, 18 years old. So it does take them, you know, you're probably looking at a, like a five-year window to really be in that cup position, but you really hope it's quicker than that because you want, you kind of want to do what Taves and Kane did is get that first one before you have to pay the guys when they're on their rookie deal. So you're hoping that it, it goes really quickly and me, you know, at this point, like we've been the last eight years have been very difficult uh, for us as fans. But in the grand scheme of things, we have been blessed beyond our wildest imaginations with the three cups. I am I've been so miserable watching this organization that I'm just excited to have fun next year. Uh, you know, yeah. Porchinski's going to be there, Kaiser, Vlasic, Reichel, Bedard. They're not going to be good, but they're going to be fun. And then you're going to follow the prospects, and before you know it. It's going to be 2025, 2026, and you would hope that they're knocking on the door uh, for a playoff spot. And then, then it's like, all right, let's pour gasoline on this thing and spend some money and, and, and really, you know, really go for it. But there's a long way to go. So accelerating the timeline, I think, I think as things stand right now, the timeline is still the timeline, which is a, you know, four, four year window, something like that to, to really get up in that uh, upper, upper echelon. But, man, it's going to be fun. The chase and the climb is going to be fun because you're climbing to the top of Mount Everest. You're not going to base camp, which is the Minnesota right. Wild. Taking right. shots at the Minnesota Wild. I like the Minnesota Wild. They're nice people up there. But <laughs> they, they don't have legitimate Stanley Cup oper, uh, aspirations the way the Hawks now can with a true number one franchise guy. Yeah, and, like, the one thing – one thing that you and I had such a hard time saying goodbye to Kane is because he was still a reason to watch the game. Even if yeah. they were a million games below 500 and had no shot at making the playoffs, 88 could still do something to wow you. And now we've got Connor Bedard to fill that void. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he is inducted into this franchise and how you know, like, again, he's going to turn 18 in July. He's going to come here with a ton of expectations. He's coming here with a country that's going to be watching his every move. It's not like, uh, you know, Patrick Kane goes to Chicago and only Chicago is watching him. I mean, the, the whole 
uh, nation of Canada is going to be watching Connor Bedard. Connor Bedard highlights are going to be in the mix every night on Sportsnet and TSN. Yeah. Um, so that it, he brings that element and those expectations to Chicago with him. And we always seen like remember Patrick uh, stayed in Stan's basement his yeah. uh, his first year. I think when I was in Philly, I'm pretty sure that Lindros, I if he I know he lived right by Luke Richardson, or there was some connection where Luke kind of you know helped bring him kind of into the the NHL uh, because he was you know obviously a young player as well. Um, it's going to be interesting. Do, do you see? Uh, somebody like Seth Jones being that type, or is or who, who do you think could possibly, you know, be the guy to uh, mentor uh, Connor Bedard and at least you know get him through the the personal part of um, the social part of being an NHL player at such a young age? Yeah, I think I think the league is so different, uh, and the, the makeup of the league is so different than it was. When Taves and Kane came in, and, and there's the, the guy, the young guys don't party like they used to. So I don't know how much of that. The name th- that is, I don't know how, if that's going to be a concern as much. But you're right, like how to be a pro and, and that kind of stuff, and how to be a good guy. The first name that comes to my mind is that nice boy Connor Murphy. Like, yeah. I think he's. I know he just. I think he just got engaged. Hey, so he, yeah, he did, and he just uh, he's getting married this you know very soon. So yeah. I think he had his he had his bachelor party in Nashville last week. Oh, did he? Yeah, yes. I know he was at he was at Morgan Wallen too. So he must be having a good summer. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I think Murphy. I think Murphy's a perfect candidate for that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they bring in any you know a free agent type guy um, to do that. And then I think that I also think it's very important to have um, people on the ice to protect him too. So right. if they go out and get Lucic or Reeves or or somebody like that, I think that's a move that they should genuinely, seriously consider um, to to have a deterrent to kind of protect him because that's the thing we definitely saw when Kane came in the league is that he was you know he had like that kind of cherubic like baby face like he you know the the hair the curls the blonde and I remember like that Calgary series when they when they made the playoffs and there's for the first time. And they were, guys were pushing him around after every whistle, trying to intimidate him. It didn't work. But that they will teams will be trying to test Connor Bedard early. And you want him to be able to stand up for himself and fight through it. But eventually it's just like, hey, you, we got this nuclear deterrent deterrent named Ryan Reeves over here. And you know, stop screwing around with our with our our beautiful baby boy, Connor <laughs> Bedard. And you're gonna need you're gonna need the the off the ice leadership and you're going to need the on the ice uh protection as well anything that uh stood out to you also from your conversation with kyle davidson today anything surprise you um you know he he's just so like he's he's so polished it's hard to get him uh you know and i i was if i'm full disclosure like i when i had stan on uh, a couple years ago, two, three years ago, that was like an hour long cross-examination. I, <laughs> I played nice uh, with Davidson today. So it was more about, you know, looking into the future and, but he is very polished. He is very measured. Uh, it's hard to get him to kind of, to loosen up a little bit. So I hope we get him again um, because we did have, we did have some fun with him at the end, but he, he is well, he's well-trained I, as you know, um, with, uh, you know, how much he'll give in an interview. We'll say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think he's been playing the game pretty well here over the last several weeks. Uh, you know, at times, I think they give you a, a kernel of information and then they walk it back a couple weeks later and try to throw you off the scent a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you get the sense that in that second round, they are going to select a goalie? Because I I, th- I think they are going to do that. Yeah, that would that would be the spot to do it. And, and goalies that has been a problem area for this organization since Corey since they drafted Corey Crawford in two thousand and three in the second yeah. round, and he didn't make the NHL until he was twenty six years old. They they 
they had drafted a goalie almost every year, but late and none of them ever worked out. So that's one of those things that's very difficult to predict goalies and their timeline and, um, and just what they are. Cause there's so much changes from the time of the, it's almost like they should have a separate goalie draft. Like wait until these kids are 20 and then draft goalies, uh, separate, like the whole league should just agree to that. So you got it dialed in a little bit because better. they they take so long to develop, anyways. Yeah, I right. know what you're saying. You'd rather have them a little bit further down the development path, so that you're making a uh, a, a better advised uh, pick or, or selection there. Yeah, exactly. And and like I think they like Camesso, and it sounds like they like Soderblom. Um, but you know. Uh, are those guys definitely going to be a number one goalie on a Stanley Cup team? Probably not. Just odd say, probably not. So, yeah, if you want to roll the dice, if you have all these extra picks and you feel good about – I think they 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 I think they do feel good and I think they should about their defense core. And now their forward group, you know, with, uh, you know, Ryan Green and Bedard and Reichel, like that group starting to come together, especially if they take another forward at 19. Yeah, I would say it's probably a pretty good idea to just, you know, like, hey, like we're going to for organizational depth and like an insurance policy and, and, you know, swing for the fences and try to get the right goalie um, and just almost have like a continuous pipeline. And, and some organizations have been able to do that. I feel like Pittsburgh has been able to have you know a pretty good run of goalies that, you know, they kind of flame out, whether it's Tristan Jari or or. um or Matt Murray, like they just seemingly have like an endless run of goalies that they just keep coming. They keep finding NHL goalies in the draft and you just see how important organizational depth is at that position. Anyways, look at Vegas, right? Aiden Hill. Exactly. Goalie number six out of my mouth with Aiden Hill. I mean, like goalie number six won the cup. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. And also how did that guy, how was he goalie number six? He's six foot five or six, and he's a really good athlete. It's like, yeah. how do they have five guys better than him? I know, I know. It, to me, goalies seem like closers in baseball. Like they'll get on heaters, and you'll be yep. like, this guy can close the door down. But then you're expecting, you know, last year's results to to transfer into the upcoming season, and it doesn't quite work out that way. I think we're seeing, and I think we're seeing a philosophy. Really change. good analogy. I like that analogy a lot because it, it does seem like there's a collection of maybe like five or six guys that you know, right, year in year out, are going to be solid, very good goalies. Everyone else is kind of a crapshoot. Even Bobrovsky, who makes ten yes. million dollars a year, you can't count on him year to year, series to series. I mean, he didn't even start the uh, the playoffs exactly, for Florida. Um, and then I think the philosophy too is changing. Like it always used to be, you're looking for Vasilevsky or your Carey Price or your Patty Wah or whoever. But but now, especially with the condensed schedules uh, and the workload, it seems like they're most teams are happy with a one A one B where the gap isn't you know a quantum huge jump between your your starter and your your backup. And you end up maybe playing the hotter hand. If 1B ends up being a little bit hot down the stretch, they start the playoffs, and as soon as he goes cold, you go back to 1A. Exactly, and we saw the Minnesota Wild execute that pretty well with uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury and, um, and was Augustus in the last this past yeah. year where it's like they had a decision to make, but they had two guys that they probably felt pretty good about going into, into game one. And then it just – it's – Nobody plays back to backs anymore. Uh, the goalies do. So you're no, no matter what, you're probably even if you're the backup, you're getting 32 starts a year, probably minimum. So yeah, like if you have if and it's hard to find like Vasilevskis don't grow on trees. So right. if you're able to just have again, it's kind of what we were saying before. You just want to find a guy who you think can play in the NHL. And if you if there's a goalie sitting there that you feel has a pretty good shot then yeah, I think from just an organizational depth and, and uh, you know, a, a roster construction um, and, and salary cap usage, it's a good thing to have a pipeline of, you know, NHL caliber goalies, even if they're not, you know, your typical Vesna 
guy, you still want to have those types of players in the system. All right, so it's a huge week. 11 selections the Hawks have. I don't think they'll make all of them. I think you'll, you'll see at least one or two moved uh, for them to uh, up their positioning in the draft. Uh, you, you've, you've got uh, Connor Bedard finally putting on that Blackhawks sweater. That's going to be a special moment for Blackhawks fans and, and, and quite frankly, for hockey fans uh, across uh, the world. And um, it's also at the end of this week, we've got free agency starting. We're hearing that Jonathan Taves is going to make his decision here in the next week or so. You have any gut feeling on how you think that might go for, for Taves about his future? I, I think he's probably done. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I think he is too. Um, I think he the only thing that I could see him doing is possibly keeping the door open to say, like, you know, my body still hasn't responded to uh what I've gone through. I don't exactly even know what I've been dealing with. Um I, I, right now, I'm not going to continue my career, but you know, I'm not going to file my paperwork. I'm going to see that, you know, maybe somewhere in December or January, if somehow he he found that he was uh, back to what he used to be before the pandemic, um, and then he might join a team late in the season, something like that. But but my gut tells me the way last year went. And just kind of what he's gone through over the last few years, I think there's a good chance that he'll hang him up. Yeah, I mean, it's just got to it's such a hard – it has to be such a hard decision to walk away from something you've been doing since you were three, four years old. Right. Um, and kind of walking into the abyss where you just don't know. It would be funny. It would be kind of funny if both Taves and Kane signed somewhere in December. You know, it's like they, no matter what, they just can't really get away from each other. Not that they would sign with the same team, but just that they're on yeah. the same kind of timeline because Kane with his hip injury, are you hearing that he's going to sign somewhere uh, in July or is he going to wait? Yeah, I don't think he'll sign in July, but you saw the video that uh, was put out in the last couple of days. He's already skating on that synthetic ice. He's shooting. Um, I hear, so like he's making, you know, kind of East Coast his uh, – his, his home right now, training there, coming back to Chicago, working with Ian Mack a little bit. I hear there's talk he's going to end up going to Toronto later on in the summer uh, for part of his rehab. So no surprise, Chief. 88's going full bore on this rehab. And, you know, just like a Marchand pushed the envelope in his return, you know, he's the guy that's going to push the envelope. And uh, I think – you know, there's got to be some teams out there that saw that video. This guy three weeks removed from hip surgery, already skating as, uh, as you know, pretty enticing and pr- pr- at least piqued their interest into, uh, into getting him for a year or two uh, on, a, on a deal. I, I hope he's, he, I hope he's magic again. I haven't, I haven't actually seen that clip. Um, but Davidson actually referenced it in our, in our interview. It's clear that Kane's not coming back here from that interview. Um, but it's the league is, is generally aware of it. So I'm after we hang up, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it because the league's better when, when Kaner is Kaner and no matter where he ends up, I want those highlights. I want him to be special. Like he, I'm always going to be a Patrick Kane fan and, uh, and, and I would, you know, I would love to see him terrorize defensemen again because the, the way that he attacks the ice and breaks it down, he's so smart, he's so good. I, I'd hate to see to have his career end because of an injury. So uh, he, I hope he comes back and is himself. Did you push Kyle on that at all? I mean, you know, he's always said that he wants that room to organically come up with their their own leadership and not defer to 88 and of course you know we heard your you know your thoughts on on he'd be the perfect guy to bring bedard into the league yeah. i mean who, who better to know what a number one overall i mean on and on we don't even need to get back yeah. into that but did you push kyle at all on, on so on, eddie on eddie was on the interview with me he asked that at, 
at the very end. I was not going to I was not going to bring that up because I could spend we had like 25 minutes with him something like that. I could have spent the whole 25 minutes arguing about that. <laughs> I know you could. Way, I know you could. The way the exit went and anybody who's listened to this show, they know how I feel about that. And and, it, and it's one of those things where it's like I almost I want I wish Davidson wouldn't say that. That that you know you want to clear the deck and have the let these guys do their own thing because no other team really does that and he's not even doing that with this team because he's going to be looking for uh, other leaders to step up in their absence so that it's it's almost like it, it just the logic behind that answer I think they need to flush that answer that media answer out about Kane a little bit because I don't think it makes sense and I also. I don't think Bedard is deferring to anyone. Okay, he's not like he's wired differently, and uh, so I don't. I don't. And and we saw, and that's what you want. You don't want him to defer. And and you saw, you know, what type of player DeBrinket became. And and you know, we we we've talked about this so many times. Or Kane, Kane is and has been a good leader and a mentor for young players. So, you know, the the hip kind of. Um, you know, complicates it a little bit, but I, I really do. I, I'll never let that go. I do. I think that he should be. Uh, I think he should be here if he wants to be here, and because it's good for the organization. Well, but no, it's good. to answer your question, I, I didn't push him because I knew that's one of those things where I would get bogged down, and then we'd we'd never get another. <laughs> we Oh, and by the way, sorry we weren't able to talk about the draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My 25 minutes like, is yeah, up with no Kyle Davidson. And, you again. Uh, so uh, one last question about the top of the draft. Uh, you know, it's going to be Bedard, obviously. I, I assume Fantilli will go uh, two overall to Anaheim. Then you got your – you know, kind of the draft starts there. It's the Leo Carlson's, the Will Smith's, and the Montvey Mitchkoff. Where, where do you think Mitchkoff – will end up going. To me, it's got to be a front office that is relatively new and that has a long leash. Like, like the, they're not anywhere near a hot seat waiting for Mitchkoff uh, to yeah. play for them in three years. Yeah, I, I wonder – see, I kind of think almost – like Davidson obviously has a long leash, but I'd have to think about the rest of the league because it does. It feels like there's been so much turnover, and, and owners come in and they're just like, "Get, ah, it's been two years. I don't feel it. Boom, you're out, you're out. Uh, we're going a different direction." And and uh, so I don't know if that's a factor. I I feel like his the lowest he would go is probably Washington, right? And then right he, at eight, he doesn't get by Washington. But I I think Philly. You talk about a new regime. Uh, I could see Keith Jones pulling the trigger on on that at at seven right before the Capitals as well. Because should we call Sharpie and ask him? Let's call Sharpie. How about that? How surprised were you? Because I mean, I thought he was a natural at TV. Like he and clearly he was. I mean, TNT yeah. wanted him. Um, but like, how surprised were you that he kind of picked? Like, I want to get back in to hockey ops. He's almost like the Soupy Campbell. What yeah. Soupy Campbell is to the Hawks. That's kind of the role Sharp has taken with the Flyers. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all, to be honest, because I don't think he ever really loved doing the media stuff. He was just looking for that next thing. And he is one of those guys, and he and I have talked about this. I said this to him when he retired, that he, like, he should do hockey ops. And he's like, ah, it's a grind. I got the, you know, the girls. And, and he's right about that. But he's so competitive yeah. that I don't think that he could properly scratch that itch um by by doing tv so i i i was i was surprised a little bit that it was philly um but i'm not surprised that he's getting out of broadcasting i would have loved it if he and i sent him a text on this when when the hawks were doing their whole shakeup. i was praying that he'd have a seat right next to paul bissonette because sharpie is so funny he's so yes. quick that he would be like uh, the perfect kind of guy like like TNT brought in Shaq and Barkley, they instantly had that connection. I really, I love the TNT broadcast. I feel like they need one more guy to get to that. Like, this is the best show on TV. Not, not even just the best hockey show, which it already is the best show. Like just, right. just the best show period. And I thought Sharpie would have been perfect in that role. Um, if you want to do that, but I, I, I'm really, I'm not surprised that he, he went the uh, hockey ops route just because he loves to compete. He wants to try to win 
everything. So if uh, Blackhawks fans that are listening to this podcast are making the trek to Nashville, uh, will you be hanging out at the, the new Barstool Bar all, all, uh, all week? Yeah, we're having uh, – I'm sure that all the Preds fans down here will love that we're throwing a Blackhawks draft party right in their face, but that's going to start at 5 p.m. Uh, Central time, so we'll be there through at least the first two picks. Um, so, yeah, we're probably going to be there the, the majority of the night. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be, uh, it's, it's one, two, three South street or something like that. South second street. Okay. Doesn't matter. I'll tweet it out, but yeah, I, I'm going to be there. It, it's, it is a time to celebrate. It's not, these players don't come along and no, we're, we're so lucky to have them. And this is a party town and it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun night. So I'll be at a party here in Chicago. I'm going to be at the salt shed. Uh, with a couple thousand Blackhawks fans. I heard it was 6,000. 6,000? Someone told me it was going to be like 6,000 people. I did not realize that. Okay. Okay, so 6,000 fans will be at the Salt Shed on Wednesday. We're going to have it on NBC Sports Chicago beginning at 6.30. We think Bedard's selection will be around 6.20 or so. So we'll blow that out. We'll have uh, Panger will be there. Chris Vosters, uh, Bickle will be in the house, Adam Burrish, Ben Eager, uh, Pat Foley will be there as well. Oh. So uh, Kaylee Chelios, um, we'll, uh, we'll kind of hang out with the, uh, the local group and party here while you do the partying in the, in the hockey talk. Well, I'll FaceTime you, and we can we'll, we'll toast to Bedard at some point because fantastic. It, it, like that party sounds like it's going to be unbelievable up at the Salt Shed. That's a very cool venue. I'm not sure if you've been there yet. I think I it's have not be yet for that for draft night, and and I, I'm I'm really happy to be down in Nashville. But a part of me wishes I was back there with you because I think that event's going to be great. Well, we will have another podcast dropping later this week when we put a bow on the. Uh, 2023 NHL entry draft for the Blackhawks. Uh, Chief, a lot of fun. Big week for the organization. Have fun in Nashville and uh, hydrate, my friend. <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best. That's going to do it for the Hockey Show podcast. We'll catch you next time. You're listening to The Hockey Show on Chicago's Home for Sports. On the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2 and ESPN 1000.